10.31 this morning, East Mission Police uh, discovered a suspected number of zombie attacks. This is the third outbreak in the United States in the past 10 years. Most residents have evacuated the city as well as most civil authorities. Frank West famously survived the first zombie outbreak in U.S. history. He then rose to fame with his reporting on the 2006 outbreak in Willamette, Colorado. People are going to get eaten, faces chewed off, screaming as they go down. Hands, arms, guts ripped out. People are going to be gnawing on each other. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's Dead Rising Retrospective Series. Nobody cares about these people unless they're eating other people. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Sounds like fun. Hosted by Arnie. You guys are taking me with you, right? Justin. You're all right. One of us. And Stuart. Who's this shady looking dude? This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. This is a serious situation, but there's no need to panic. Listener discretion is advised. Friends don't let friends go through Z-Town alone. That's what I'm talking about. Today, we're discussing Dead Rising Endgame, starring Jesse Metcalf, Keegan Connor Tracy, Dennis Haysbert, and Billy Zane. Oof. Directed by Pat Williams. This is the now playing co-host who wonders, is this the end game for the arcade? Are we getting anywhere close? Arnie. <laughs> yeah, we're getting close, and this is definitely an end here. Stuart. And I feel like we're in less good hands. This is Justin. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the end game of Dead Rising itself, because this quickie sequel, Crackle, it got whatever it needed out of that first movie <laughs> and asked for a second one and it was time to come out with Dead Rising 4 and nothing. This movie seemed to have done nothing. Dead Rising 4 seemed to have done nothing. There's no talk of any more games. There was briefly talk about turning this into a TV series that appears to go nowhere. Uh, five years later, I, I don't see that happening. They had to make these two at the same time, right? Kind of like Rave to the Grave and whatever that other Return of the Living Dead one was that doesn't have as memorable a title. Necropolis. Thank you. It wasn't at the same time. It was very quickly after the first one, but it wasn't simultaneous. Yeah, you would think it would be back to back. But in fact, again, different director this time, somebody else coming in to do some writing duties, new actors mixing with the old actors. It says to me that they couldn't maybe get everyone back, that Lepofsky was so busy after the success, he had to run off and make the live action version of Kim Possible, which is, I guess, a Disney spy show for girls animated that he made the, the live action adaptation. Yeah, no, Kim Possible was a big deal. Yeah, okay. that's got to be a real step up for his career. And I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> right. I mean, it might actually be mediocre. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that means somebody at Disney saw Dead Rising Watchtower and went, him. <laughs> that's what we need for our tween. Yeah, but Hornswoggle is playing Kim Possible, so I don't think it ended up very well. <laughs> yeah, it, it's strange with this being a direct sequel to the movie we just watched. The games are kind of going ignored at this point. You know, the world we're in in these movies is based on at least the events of part one and somewhat of part two, you know, with the, the lore there. But by this time, part three had been out 
And, you know, I don't think there's any mention of part three, which is in like a pseudo Los Angeles being talked about here, except we see it on screen being played here. And part four will be coming out soon. And that's just a return to Frank West going back to the original shopping mall area. So the games can just kind of be tossed out of this movie world at this point. Yeah, and Rob Riggle is not here to continue that character. They Those bits, the news section interjections, must have been something that Leposky loved that this new director said no to. Or maybe Rob Riggle just said, I don't need this. But director Pat Williams, I mean, this guy is also a success. It looks like he's doing a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies and do not <laughs> underestimate the power of the Hallmark Christmas movie. He's done Love in Winterland, mm. Right, W-R-I-T-E, Before Christmas, Christmas Bells Are Ringing. <laughs> so you're saying he's used to making a movie over the course of a weekend with $20,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also was behind a sci-fi channel show called Continuum, and half the cast of that show is popping up in this. Like they had an off day from the set and said, okay, we'll do Endgame. Ah. Uh-huh. That was a big show, Continuum. It went on for many years. I know people who like it. I never watched an episode, but... You're killing me with these... I mean, it's true. I guess I'm just out of touch, but you're like, Kim Possible, everyone knows that. Continuum, that was huge. Okay, I mean, I guess. I never saw an episode of either. And here, the screenwriting duties, part of it is... Tim Carter from the original, but they also brought in Michael Ferris, who we just recently talked about. He wrote David Fincher's The Game, uh, The Net, Terminator 3, and yes, Catwoman with Halle Berry. So I'm thinking this one's going to be funnier at the very least. I mean, that's the hope. Hey, the director was also the cinematographer for Police Academy, so yeah. All right. Is Michael Winslow going to pop up in here? Maybe he did all the sound effects and we don't even know it. (laughs) No, but Billy Zane is. And I checked. I'm like, how did he wind up in this point? The truth is, after Titanic, there was nothing for him. They left him on that iceberg. And he, like, just hasn't been working in legitimate movies. This is actually a step up from the crap he had been doing. I kind of hear he's an asshole. And as I've said many times on the show, people just don't want to work with assholes. And if you're not a huge box office draw and you're a jerk who's late to set, you're going to end up in things like Zoolander 2. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Or things like uh, Dead Rising Endgame. (laughs) (laughs) Only one scene. So I wonder, you know, did he not show up on set enough that that's all they could film? (laughs) Billy Zane is one of those guys that he feels like he's had a bigger and better career to, I think, guys our age. Maybe and it's just because of the name recognition. Because when I was talking to my son Tyler about this, I was like, oh, and Billy Zane makes an appearance. He's like, who? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, He was in Titanic. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, that guy, whatever. Like, so he's nobody to the next generation. Yes. We really should cover the Phantom and let everyone know his real talent. <laughs> I mean, we covered him in Critters and Back to the Future. I mean, we've had our time Back with him. Back to the Future? Yeah, he was one of the background baddies. Wow, no memory of that. And we covered him in Now Peaking. I mean, a lot of Twin Peaks episodes, that's probably where I best know him from. Yes, he he did take Audrey's virginity. See, I'm saying our generation solely. Billy Zane was a (laughs) Gen X star, and that's it. Yes, I agree. It's a smell-by date, and it's long past, so Arnie... 
Let's find out what he and everyone else does in this movie. Give him the plot. I'm surprised how strongly coupled this one is to the last one. I never expected that, as I mentioned at the end of last show. And a lot of the problems I have with the last movie are, why the hell are they doing this? My plot summary has roundabout answers. Okay, well, that's sounding like some good developments. Picking up where the last movie left off, Dennis Haysbert's General Lyons is in control of a government program that's implanting tracking chips in America under the guise of delivering Zombrex medication. On his tail is online reporter Chase Carter, again played by Jesse Metcalf, who's searching for his missing producer Jordan Blair, who in the last movie, and in this one briefly, is played by Keegan Connor Tracy. Aiding Chase is computer hacker Sandra Lowe, who is also Chase's girlfriend. Carter is approached by George Hancock, played by Ian Tracy, who claims to have information about Project Afterlife, a military plan where the Zombrex chips implanted in bitten citizens can be killed through a Zombrex overdose, all at the push of a button. Hancock wants to stop the computer that will murder over a million people, but to do so, he needs to get back into East Mission. As Chase survived the city last movie, Hancock wants Chase to accompany him into the city. For help, Chase calls on his zombie-killing gamer pal, Garth. While they go into the city to stop the computer, Carter's new producer, Jill Eichland, investigates Phenotrans, the company that makes Zombrex. She discovers Phenotrans CEO Susan Ignat is worried about losing her company when the Zombrex chips kill everybody. <coughs> so she has Phenotrans scientist Leo Rand, played by Billy Zane, performing crazy experiments on zombies to make faster, stronger zombies. And I wanted to say that's a well-founded fear. If your product kills everyone that has it, <laughs> probably your company is not going to survive it. <laughs> In the city, Carter finds his old producer, Jordan, who's been trapped in the city ever since being experimented on by Rand. Jordan joins his team to stop the genocide and Rand. They get to Billy Zane's Rand and realize he's totally insane, trying to modify the zombie virus to grant immortality, and Hancock set them up. Hancock kills Rand, hoping to get the immortality virus and sell it himself. At the mainframe, Sandra succeeds in stopping the hack as fast, strong zombies infiltrate the lab. They escape by helicopter just as General Lyons bombs the building, destroying all evidence of Rand's testing, and the military kills Hancock in the tunnels beneath the building as credits roll. Now, you did not mention in your plot, you know, listing of the cast that President Barack Obama is actually here as the first person we see reassuring all Americans not to give in to hysteria, go ahead and get that Zombrex chip implanted. Yeah, some stock footage of him talking about what I'm guessing was the swine flu or the bird flu or something at some point and reappropriating it here to be talking about the zombie outbreak. You know, they do that well. I remember in Contact, they took footage of Bill Clinton and made it seem like he was talking about the first contact with aliens. Well, you know, Robert Zemeckis actually likes to digitally manipulate footage, so they could have tweaked it here. All I gotta say is 1.5 million Americans, a lot of people, that's very sad that that many people would die. It's less than a third of the population of Manhattan. Yeah, it's a very low number if you're talking about like giant stakes. Like when there's 330 million people in America and 1.5 have the chip. 
it's not the threat that I thought that they were trying to tease here. That like the idea that now that it's mandatory that everyone has one, everyone would be under surveillance by the army. Everyone would be under control. We'll find out the eventual plot is everyone could be killed with a punch of a button. You could drop dead because they could give you an overdose of zombie. In opening with this footage of President Obama, really, like we talked about in the last movie, how it's like in hindsight of more recent events, like, this movie takes on new meaning in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And like just thinking about how this movie couldn't have been made over the last year or so, because, you know, we couldn't start with footage of the last president talking about a virus because it would just be, we'd have footage of a denial at that point. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, don't worry about it. This thing will go away in April. But that would actually possibly work in this movie too. help with the government conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, it could. Yeah, here's somebody that's saying we have, if not the vaccine, we have a way of of helping people that are afflicted. And then we have cutting away from all of this, like just random footage of naked woman being dragged down the hall and beaten. I don't know exactly what's going wrong with her microchip, but clearly the government has ulterior motives for putting in this device. They want to hurt us. It's very clear from the first few minutes of this movie that it's a darker tone they're going for. I mean, one of the Mm. first scenes we see is a little girl walking down an abandoned street only to be plowed over in a very gory manner by a military vehicle. And is it wrong that I found that very funny because it was a little zombie girl and she went splat real good like a bug? Well, the driver thought it was funny. I mean, there are people <laughs> meant to laugh, but you're, you're seeing dehumanization of people. That... Of zombies. They are not human. <laughs> not dehumanizing the undead. No, but they, they, they can be. They can be. With an injection of a needle, these can be people again. Although that girl's a lost cause. She has half a face missing. Yeah, I mean, we said they can't be unzombified. Right. I get it. But this begins the tease of a very confusing conspiracy. I felt like last time it was underdeveloped, but I at least understood that the army was trying to reposition itself at the head of a national surveillance program. And here, help me out. Who's stealing people? Who's getting microchipped? Why are drug dealers involved? I really, I I had to watch this movie. I started it on three different occasions because every time I would start it, I would get frustrated and I wouldn't want to watch it anymore and I would turn it off. And by the time I came back to it, I'm like, I don't remember anything. So I'd have to start it over again. So you can explain to me all of this stuff because I don't know the answers. (laughs) Here's what I understood was going on. The military, the government, and the pharmaceutical company, writ large, actually do have good intentions. It comes down to that General Allstate and the CEO of the Zombrex Corporation are conspiring together to create this situation for personal gain. Right. They want to kill everyone that's infected with zombie blood rather than keep them alive with the chip. Right, so it doesn't uncover what they've been doing, that they created the last situation from the last movie. They purposely made bad Zombrex so they could introduce the chip thing, and that information getting out would end both of them. There's even more, though, because once we start hanging out with these people, lines are said, things are implied. I think that Phenotrans actually created zombies. I think that if we got a third movie, we would eventually find out that they made Patient Zero zombie. Like, they want people to be infected with zombieism because then they will be hooked on their drugs. 
Yeah, very much an umbrella corporation situation. Is there anything that you know of from the games, Justin, that where the origin of the zombies came from? Because that is something I found kind of interesting about the last film was that we don't see the zombie origins. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with the more recent games, three and four. And if they touch on it there, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, but they didn't touch on it on the first two. You know, the first one, it was just zombies are here. Don't worry about it. The second one, they introduced the idea of there being a cure so it's very possible that they started to introduce that in the later games. I couldn't tell you. But here's where I'm I'm a little, not a little, I'm very blurry on. I thought that Dennis Haysbert, or as you call him, what, General Allstate, I like that. General Allstate <laughs> is basically now giving himself permission to follow whoever he wants, spy on whoever he wants, and grab whoever he wants and say, you're infected and haul him away to this city to be experimented on. But at the same time, I think they're trying to bring in, you know, that old story about cocaine and, uh, you know, how the role that the U.S. government played in it coming into our borders. They're working with drug dealers who are also grabbing people. Like, it sounds to me like innocent people that aren't zombies are being grabbed under false pretenses and then turned into zombies. Yeah, to help feed the experimentation that's going on by Billy Zane's character. They are grabbing regular people for these experiments. But are these undesirable people? Like, are, are they basically saying, here's a criminal we can't nail in court, so we'll brand him a zombie and, and then we can microchip and kill him? I mean, the movie doesn't make that implicit. I mean, I think it's just victims of circumstance as far as the movie's concerned. And to have this gang here, I think, is just kind of a nod to what was going on in the last movie. You know, somebody who's taking advantage of the situation by profiting and thriving in this chaos of the quarantine zone that's what these drug dealers are but it seems a little more civilized and well organized at this point right it looks to me that this van that's running over zombie girl has the prisoners and is taking them to the drug dealers who are then going to move them to billy zane i think that's the flow of traffic here but again i are the drug dealers grabbing the people are the army grabbing people i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out a postulation here okay please i think it's phenotrans kidnapping people to take to Billy Zane, because as far as I know, General Allstate doesn't know about Billy Zane. He has his plans to kill the 1.5 million people for reasons. Again, I thought he wants to track the 1.5 million people. Now he wants to kill the 1.5 million people. Mm -hmm. And the CEO of Phenotrans is scared for her business. Yeah. And so she needs Billy Zane to come up with something that's going to save them. And at first, we're going to think that it's super zombies, maybe weaponized zombies. In the end, we're going to find out he's searching for immortality. Zombies are undead. Can you get enough zombie in you to live forever, but not so much zombie in you that your brains... Right. Yes. I heard that line of dialogue late into the film, but this is pretty much a mess. If you were hoping for clarification, I think that they have created even more layers of conspiracy that have clouded certainty. But I do think that this new director brings a visual style that is much better than the last one. There's going to be some driving scenes where we get like half the frame is the car, half the frame is the background. 
We're going to see Chase kill a zombie that's impaled on a post and just keep banging its head again and again. I think this film looks better and feels more exciting than the last one. No, absolutely. They have retired the GoPro and they have hired yeah, the, the crew of a sci-fi Canadian show. And that is, <laughs> that is a step up. Thank you, Continuum, <laughs> for giving us better visual. Yeah, the, the look and feel is better, at least more deliberate when we're in the quarantine zone, the set dressing feels a little bit more overgrown. It does say that we're two years into this now. So, you know, we have overgrown streets, we have broken cars. The color tone is more cool and gray now when we're in the quarantine zone. When we're outside, it's warmer and redder. So there's, there's a little bit of a visual stylization going on here. Yeah. And Chase has gotten darker. He's got a beard now and he's working for the legit news company. He's no longer the hit points digital guy. He is actually considered, I guess, a major investigative reporter. One of the only few people willing to risk his life by going into this cordoned off city. Same one as last time. He's getting footage of basically General Allstate and the drug dealers killing people now that is so hot that his network doesn't want to air it. He is getting too close to the corporate enemies. He's basically shut down. After this opening and this these action scenes, he gets out with his camera and they say, we're not going to put this on the air. Yeah, we get some scenes and exposition of, you know, talking about the legality and making sure we're doing our journalistic due diligence before we break something like this. So getting a little in the weeds over a zombie movie, but I, I can appreciate it to a certain degree that they're at least setting up stakes, you know, and we understand why Chase would be a wanted man. I just don't understand why, if he has actual footage of something, the lawyers are like, no. Yeah, he's like this. They're allowing another Iron Contra to happen again. It's literally a line of dialogue, which one makes me laugh because I'm thinking most of this audience doesn't even know what Iron Contra is. And two, the media loved that story in the 80s. That was all that it could talk about was Oliver North. So it seems to me like the news, unless it's government controlled, unless you're implying that everything is now in a fascist state and General Allstate is really in control of everyone, I don't think we're quite there in that kind of dystopian future. But yeah, it just seems to me like the news media would be having a field day with this information, not covering it up. But then we'd have nothing to talk about. You know, it'd be one of those things where, oh, we put it on the news and roll credits. Yeah, well, you know, that gives a point to a Phenotran whistleblower. We now have, coming out of the darkness, approaching Chase at a bar bathroom, George Hancock, the man that's going to have all the answers, maybe. He's immediately not trustworthy. You know there's something wrong with this guy. But I'm not sure he's ever really fleshed out enough for that role. Yeah, every character distrusts him, and I never believe that he's going to prove himself to be... He's a good guy, supposedly, for 90% of the movie. I'm waiting for his turn, and it will eventually come. I needed him to be running this whole time in a business suit. Like, he was literally run out of his office, <laughs> and he's been on the run ever since. But he's, like, dressed like it was casual Friday at the office this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th I think the days of suits are over, right? But my problem with... Hancock is he fades into the background for so much of this movie. He is the inciting incident for this big investigation, but there are so many characters that are going to come into this. 
I lose track of Hancock's thread before the end. There are too many characters, period. This movie makes a terrible decision in saying where one character might explain something, let's have five. I can't tell you how many names I wrote down only to find out that they never... I mean, how many blondes are in this movie? There are like three blonde women and they all kind of look alike. One's a henchman, one's the head of the phenotrans, and one's in the news media. I, again, had to watch this movie three times to figure out who was who. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a little light on casting diversity here, you know. I mean, you're right. Some of these people all just kind of blend together into everyday people, and none of them are really standing out. No. Yeah. I, I, maybe, maybe some of these people, I, I looked up their credits, they're on CW shows, they're doing Hallmark movies. If you're a fan of that, maybe you can recognize them. But if you're a fan of that, are you watching this? I mean, I just... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, we finally get to, like, what the fuck is Afterlife? They've heard all these whispers about Afterlife. Well, I want to remind you, it was the name of the fourth Resident Evil movie. Like, we are now, like, cribbing directly from Resident Evil here. After Project Watchtower comes Afterlife. That's why they didn't name this Dead Rising Afterlife. I kept wondering. I mean, that's the obvious title. Yes. <laughs> the whole project is Afterlife. Why is it Endgame? Right. Well, like I mentioned earlier, they're already kind of treading too close to that other franchise. I mean, like, Phenocorp is basically becoming Umbrella Corp, and, like, you can't mix those two genres without people asking questions. Keep in mind, by this point, Resident Evil movies are over, and, you know, they're talking about rebooting it, but I think that this was supposed to fill in that gap. I think this was supposed to be, okay, now that we're done with that series, everyone come over here. It's confusing to have the same jargon. What I liked, the only thing that I really felt was novel about that first movie was we had Phenotrans inventing a cure, and all of that is now getting lost. Like, I feel like the, the potential of understanding that zombies can be controlled with medicine has not fulfilled its purpose here when it suddenly becomes about everyone, supposedly everyone is microchipped and can be killed by the army. And that's going to be a new ticking clock. In 24 hours, the, you're all dead. And like you guys kind of brought up earlier, it's almost a who cares situation. I know it's, you know, 1.5 million people, but this is also a universe where we've had multiple zombie outbreaks. At some point, the general public is going to be like sick and tired of it. And it's going to be, I mean, just look at real world. Like look how fast the majority of Americans got over the idea of COVID after just three months. It's like, well, yeah, if we just kind of, you know, do what we're supposed to do, we can get over this quicker. But in a movie universe, I can see how people be like, you know what, if it's just one and a half million people to end this for once and for all, I say do it. Yeah, I feel like they needed to draw the line more directly that the government was choosing who lives and dies and was saying that undesirable people, people we don't like, maybe for their political stance, you know, like, I don't know, name it. Give me a reason. We're going to have them chipped and killed. And that's how we execute justice in this post-zombie world. It's just so confusing to me because they chipped the bitten. So, because theoretically, that's all that chip is there for, is to help you not zombie out if you're bitten. If only 1.5 million have been administered, they're obviously keeping it to a small sample. It's not going to stop the zombie outbreaks because you're killing those who are in remission from zombieism. Right. So what is the point of killing 1.5 million people? The only way I could go with this is he's a madman who wants to be a mass murderer, but that doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, I feel like we want to be able to understand 
General Allstate's plot, and it just remained garbled. It's, again, I like your expression, hand-wavy, Justin. It's like, yeah, you kind of get it, right? It's bad. It's the military. It's conspiracy. Like, whatever. Like, we're not going to get into that. You know, these are the bad guys. Chase is the good guy. We now have to have him lead a team. He's the expert into breaking into East Mission, Oregon now. He will lead this whistleblower to a bank of servers where this command is going to be given and he's got to get there in time to stop afterlife and he's going to be bringing on friends because again it's more fun when you have colorful types with homemade weapons tagging along like garth o'toole <laughs> were either of you guys confused by the introduction of his girlfriend did you think that was supposed to be the same character from the last movie yes yes i wondered i liked crystal last movie it seemed like they were hooking up last movie this person is asked aren't you his girlfriend and she says off and on i'm like did she drastically change her look i had to look i'm like that's not the same actress what is going on and i'm disappointed it's not crystal coming back yeah yeah i I, so many actresses look the same in this and again she kind of looks like jordan too who doesn't look like herself anymore because of all the experimentation it's just identification in general is a general problem for me. Throughout this movie, I don't get the conspiracies. I don't understand and differentiate the characters. It's really confusing. Help me know why Garth is here. Is he a character from the games? Yes, I think. Mm. But No. (laughs) You're right. Now Now that I'm looking... I'm finding no reference to him, but I'm like, of course he is. That's why you would have him. And he's actually introduced playing Dead Rising at his house. So it's a kind of meta joke here that he already knows how to do this because he's been playing these Capcom zombie games. And it's alleged that they they have he has this history with Chase where he owes him a bunch of weapons. But Chase isn't a character from the game, so... No. And the, the confusing thing is here is, like, yeah, the reason that he's introduced to us in the movie is so they can get armed up and go into this quarantine zone. But that is pointless because they're immediately disarmed once they get in. So Mm -hmm. there really is no reason for this character. Yeah. He creates a tension with the whistleblower. He and Hancock will be having a a trading, you know, back and forth sort of venomous relationship. He keeps reminding us why we shouldn't like this guy that's supposedly going to turn off the afterlife program. I think it just kind of plays to... I mean, if I'm being charitable, it plays that, like, in this world, this has been going on so long that there's people who, you know, are on the outside, who have knowledge of how this thing is played out and can help you out if you're going into the quarantine zone. Because it has been two years. So, I mean, think about it. After two years, it's kind of just commonplace. You don't go over there, but if you need to, there's some guys that can help you out. Yeah. Here's the thing. I like the idea of going through a zombie city and the fact that Chase is the guy because he's been reporting from there for two years. That works for me. Bring your friends along. Have them be as differentiated as possible. Help me out with that. But, you know, the movie last week also had someone on the outside. It was Jordan who was reporting. I find it very irritating every time we cut outside of the city and have to hang out with Jill, Jessica Harmon's character, where she's running around trying to I don't know like there's this guy named Smith that's trying to shoot them and she's running from him and she's approaching the CEO of Phenotrans and then getting information from her guy like it's all of that cut all that stuff this movie is half an hour shorter than the one last week 
but I feel like because it's so densely plotted, it actually plays longer. Like, it took me longer to get through this movie than Watchtower. Yeah, I just... All of the scenes of General Allstate, you guys have me calling him that now. Yeah, why not? It's fun. (laughs) And Susan Ingot on the roof really feel expository and yet not clear. Like, if you're going to have exposition scenes, at least (laughs) say something of value. (laughs) She talks about she's worried about her company because, again, like we joked about, he's killing everybody with her product and she loves her company, but you're not even teasing the upcoming reveal. Yeah, and again, she has this henchman that's standing there and he'll eventually go and run and tell the TV producer who's talking to her boss. Like, again, too many characters. Who cares about any of this stuff we need to stay focused on a 24-hour mission through a zombie city with chase leading people through underground tunnels and presumably exciting scenarios right and we we haven't really stated what their mission is like they're going into the quarantine zone to (laughs) to infiltrate a server farm so they can upload malware only the whistleblower really knows how to work it but for reasons chase's girlfriend is also a hacker and she's gonna do something to the system as well like it's a it's a it's a strange division of work in that the one guy that understands afterlife is not really going to be the one to stop it yeah he's not an it he has to call somebody (laughs) couldn't you just send an email that says we have a problem with your order open this invoice (laughs) Just be done with it. (laughs) Who? Why would you put the banks inside surrounded by zombies anyway? I guess it prevents other people from getting to it, but it also means you yourself can't really control what's happening. But again, the whole lab, the whole experimentation, Phenotrans' whole reason for existing is also in the same building as the server farm. So it seems like they've really chosen a bad location to be doing life-saving work. Yeah, some, some, some bad corporate decisions have been made. <laughs> I could draw a line. If they were doing experiments there and it's surrounded by zombies, couldn't the zombie outbreak in that city have taken place because of Billy Zane? Like they didn't mean to surround it with zombies? I guess, but wouldn't at some point Billy Zane get a chopper and then go to a different lab, one where he's not constantly in threat of being attacked? I guess it it provides a cover of secrecy, but at the same time, if what he's working on could potentially end death and, and make everyone immortal, I think you want to give him a little bit more protection. I think you want to have him work in a compound where he's protected and, you know, treated well. Like, it, like he worked at Google, you know? Like, you can bring your dog to work. You can eat gourmet food. Like, this this seems like a bad work environment. I just want to say, I'd be really mad if I were inventing the cure to save humanity inside a hospital overrun by 15,000 zombies. Right. It would have played better if this whole building was like a secret oasis inside this quarantine zone. Since nobody's supposed to be getting in or out, it's like, why not have this really nice office building that is completely free and protected from the rest of the quarantine zone you know but no it's just another rundown dilapidated building inside there so it doesn't make sense for all of their eggs to be in this basket we're talking about what their plot is but because we know it having watched the movie and done the plot summary but all this stuff we're talking about about immortality isn't revealed until like the last five to ten minutes of the movie when billy zane actually deigns to show up Yes, it mm-hmm. should be said that he's the, the special guest surprise at the very end. They're saving him for whatever reason. They even hide his name in the credits. So when you get there, you're like, Billy Zane? 
Or you go, who is that fat guy with the bald head and mustache? But what I could just not get out of my head during his scenes, my initial reaction was, is that Clint Howard? Are we watching Blood Rain 3 again where he was trying to get immortality out of vampires? I didn't recognize Billy Zane with the mustache. Billy Zane just owns an Italian restaurant now, you know, so he just came from there to shoot his scenes. (laughs) He does look like he's concerned about other things other than movies. I don't think it's cures to immortality, but like whatever it is, Billy Zane is a surprise to a movie that is mostly about walking around very dark tunnels. And unfortunately, even though I like the warriors and movies that are about a location where people fight neighborhood to neighborhood to get to a, a location, it's just not very exciting to see them run from one dark corridor to another, sometimes running into meth labs. It helps that in Warriors, there were characters that were fun to watch. And, and here, as you said, too many characters, which makes them completely indistinct. And... It also gets ugly. Like, at one point, Sandra is about to get raped. Yeah, don't bring in sexual assault here. Mm -hmm. Where's the fun? No one, even now, the fights are more violent. They're more graphic and gory. I don't feel like they're more fun. I don't feel like at any time we're having a, a, a trip to zombie. And I just don't get why they're not going for that. I don't understand why they think that grimy and dingy is a better vibe than humor. I think it might be a product of the time because, I mean, even though I didn't play Dead Rising 3 too much, I mean, I I walked through it a little bit to get a feel for it, but that was one of the big complaints of that game is that it had lost some of the brightness and some of the fun aspects of the first couple games, and Mm. it went with a really darker tone. And that might have just been because that's where zombie movies were five years ago. I guess. But to me, in my mind, zombies got sillier. Like we had just, we had treated them with such seriousness for so long, it was time to have our laugh on. And I guess, don't get me wrong, if they could make a good, serious zombie movie, more power to them. But if you know you don't have the budget, and you know you don't have the actors, and you know you can't scare people, what other choice do you have than to press that button and do camp? Like that to me is the obvious final solution for how to solve the problem of a stupid beam. Yeah, I mean, so so much of this middle part of this movie is just our gang walking through dimly lit tunnels, corridors, yes. and parking garages. Yep. I just have to think that is actually the studio parking garage. Like, if you looked in mm-hmm. the background, you'd actually see the cast of The Flash walking around. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It was uh yeah where they where they keep the generators or something like the unfilmed the the less photogenic part of it like uh, nothing here it does look better than last time but I want to argue this still looks like a cruddy low budget movie and only even more rarely does it have fun you mentioned the parking lot scene that might be the only time where I feel like we enjoy the fact that they've made these bats with nails in them and saw blades on a stick and we have these weapons being used to wipe out. Uh, fast-moving zombies now, like like zombies in wedding dresses and people that can leap over cars. So was she turned into a zombie at her wedding, or was it that these smarter zombies can get married now and she like fell in love? <laughs> I, 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 you know what? I wish we could have followed that storyline. It would be more interesting. <laughs> 
But you get what I'm saying. Like, this reminds me sort of of the school, standing on the school bus scene from last time and Bonzo the Clown and all of that. But it just, they try to play it too straight. Garth gets bitten and it's supposed to be sad that Chase has to put a pickaxe through his head. And I'm like, no, I don't think sad is what we want to feel. I do like the scene, though, where Sandra kills the zombie with, like, that car flare, the burning through his skull. That was a little inventive and it was, it looked, decent-ish. This part of the movie does have a little bit of tension to it, you know, but as Stuart said, you know, we're killing off a main character already kind of unceremoniously and for no reason, a guy that didn't need to be introduced and now he's being killed without reason, so really not feeling much there. Two scenes previous to this, we have them confronted with the gang that's been working with the military on the inside, and basically those guys all get killed, so like there's going to be nothing that comes out of that plot line. It's, it's a whole bunch of stuff just thrown up on screen without any payoff. It's just there to be fodder eventually. And is that not worth something, though? I did want to bring up, this is, in theory, a horror movie. I mean, there's sci-fi and action elements and a little bit of comedic elements. But in a horror movie, don't you want to really up that body count from movie one to movie two? Or I mean, I personally would prefer impactful kills. I've never, when I was a kid watching horror movies, I never walked out being like, well, they killed seven in the last one, but only five in this one, so it wasn't as good. But... Isn't that just like the theory of horror movies is you need to up the body count so they could bring in these people just for the sake of having them die? Sure. I just feel like with this main henchman specifically, you know, he was in the earlier scenes. I believe he's the guy who actually slit the one dude's throat. Skinner. Yeah, he's a drug dealer. He's the drug dealer middleman that's moving human trafficking. Yeah. And he's just dispatched with in the middle part of this movie. I feel like and maybe it's because they did it in the first one where, you know, Macklemore does pop up back at the end and they didn't want to repeat that beat. But it just felt like, you know, they're dispatching a a potential good spoiler for later on in the movie a little too early. Uh, Eventually, through all of this fighting, we end up on an escalator and Chase is eventually reunited with the person that he's been tormented about disappearing for the last two years. Jordan, the camera woman, looking very different because she's been experimented on by Billy Zane for the last two years, somehow escaped captivity but didn't leave the city and is now here to help them go back to the server farm slash secret lab. Yeah, definitely felt like the same building. When they find her, she's catatonic. So I took it as she was able to escape, but she's not in her right mind. She is not happy to see Chase, you know? She just kind of stands there, and it's not until he riles her up with the mission to go after Zane and to stop the mainframe that Jordan starts to come out of it, but she's still a little animalistic. She's still a little bloodthirsty and wants revenge for what happened to her more than the person who we saw last film coming back. Oh, okay. And here I was just thinking it was bad acting. Okay, you might be right. That might be a choice. That might be her saying, I'm not the character that I was. It's not very fun to watch. I'll, I'll, I'll make that case. Yeah, <laughs> at very least she's she's got some PTSD. Plus, you have to love it, Stuart. It's another blonde. <laughs> yeah, I if, again, keeping track of all these characters that all kind of look alike, but are very radically different to the plot, very frustrating. Sandra, the, who's supposed to be his girlfriend, but is it me or does Chase seem more hung up on Jordan than Sandra? I don't ever see him having a moment with Sandra where it's romantic, but, uh, you know, he's all about finding Jordan. 
Sandra is given the unfortunate duty of having to upload malware. And come on, it is 2016. We are all familiar with computers and UI on computers. We do not need to make everything on computer screens 100-point fonts <laughs> just so we can see what's going on. And all of the graphical colors and things. Is everybody running some variant of Unix? Because you never see... Uh, I mean, it is very possible, but they're also at a mainframe. And in 2016, if you're using a mainframe, you are behind the curve. You mean, you're like Wells Fargo ancients if you're running a mainframe. Because at this <laughs> point, you should be in the cloud. <laughs> yeah. When I saw the thumb drives coming out, I was like, gee, I haven't. It's been a while, right? Like, I, I feel like, yes, this doesn't feel. And the series never has felt cutting it. This is not how it would be being done in 2016. Arnie, I imagine your head was just exploding when they were trying to like throw out all this techno babble during these scenes. You know, like, oh, they're throttling us. <laughs> like all these different things. Yeah, we. The, one of the few scenes we get of Dennis Haysbert, General Allstate, is he's telling his little computer lackey, do something with the keyboards to stop them from doing something with the keyboards. It, it's a really uncinematic fight. It really, you know, <laughs> Computer fights don't work usually unless you're watching hackers. I mean, we even discussed it in Clear and Present Danger, I think it was. I mean... It was, yes. It's just so many of, oh my god, they're hacking the mainframe. Oh my god, we have to hack faster. You know, it's just doesn't work here it doesn't work just in my head wasn't exploding because i was just like whatever why is she even still sitting there during the upload couldn't she run oh she's got to type a few command lines after this couldn't she have a batch file to do this i mean i don't even care it's just cinematic <laughs> tropes of computer stuff why i mean i know they're throttling but where's this malware coming from like we have she has thumb drives you can't throttle a u USB port. Right. Okay. You're getting deep in the weeds for me, but I, I just want to point out, and we've introduced new characters too. Now there's some guy named Todd that she's fighting with that's there for reasons. Why? Why so many? Every scene, like Jordan, not only did she escape, but there's some other guy that escaped, and I don't think we ever see him again. There's for every one character they need, they introduce three or four more in the background. It's very frustrating. I challenge either of you. Where's Hancock? Right, I, I guess. So here's the truth. He may not even be on set. You know, the truth is, in order to cut costs, you only bring the actors you need for that day and use hand models or cut around who's there, but we don't need in the shot. But yeah, this character, I would think we'd always want to know where he was because he's the one that's supposedly doing all the things that now Sandra is doing. I thought he was the one that was going to be shutting down the servers. I don't know why suddenly it's become her job to infect the computer system. But really, it's through Jordan that we get our first glimpse of Billy Zane as her PTSD gets some wavy camera footage of she has a memory of being experimented on and Billy Zane bald and mustached is standing over her and we're getting very near the climax. Yeah, she she decides she wants she came back to kill him. She's got her giant what axe or knife or something like that. I think it's actually a meat cleaver. She took a meat cleaver and like duct taped it to like a mop or something like that. Eh, whatever works, I suppose. That probably will kill Billy Zane. Again, that goes back to the video game though of combining elements and yeah, right, crafting weapons. Yeah. 
She runs back to kill him, but it's actually a zombie that looks like Billy Zane. It just gets more and more unflattering for Billy Zane here. <laughs> but she kills the wrong Billy Zane, and he gets her tased and back on the operating table to finish his immortality experiments, which he does. There's a cure for death now. Apparently. I mean, if, if we take him at his word, he's very close and just needs to continue. At least Jordan has been his best experiment. And if he doesn't get that shot in her, she's going to turn and it's going to all be for naught. Meanwhile, I just want to point out, jets are coming to firebomb this hospital. So you could invent the cure for death and then be wiped. Like if he took that cure, would it save him from the firebombs? I, I don't even, I don't even know. I got to think if you destroy the brain, you're still dead zombie rules type thing. Yeah. I'm not sure what RXX22 is really going to do for you, but it becomes this, you know, MacGuffin plot device that everyone's got to grab here at the climate. Part of why afterlife doesn't even feel like this real threat is that you can remove your implant. We will actually see Sandra as the clock is ticking down and she she's worried that she's not going to get this malware up in time. She's like, well, shit, I guess I better get this kill device out of my shoulder. And she just kind of plucks it out there. Why doesn't everyone do that? I mean, what wouldn't it be more helpful to get the word out to remove your implant than it is to try and get to this server bank? But then aren't you going to turn into a zombie because you don't have the drug? They don't have the injections anymore. Without the implant, you're going to zombie out. So dead one way, dead another. Mm, that's true. And we do know that Sandra, I think she might be a character from the video game. She mentions having been at a previous outbreak in Fortune City. And I don't know. Like she, she said enough about her backstory that I felt like we should, you know, if you were a game fan, go, oh, of course. That's why Chase would want to date her. She's the hot Lara Croft of Dead Rising. Well, she's definitely not the main character from Fortune City, but she may be somebody in, in the story mode. To some degree, but yeah, I've always had a problem with these implants. Even in the first one where they're showing them, put them in. It's like, that just looks skin deep, you know? Like, if you're going to do an implant like that, make it somewhere in, like, the cortex of somebody's brain that they can't get out. Mm, okay. All right. So, basically, it all comes down to Billy Zane. We love you, but you can't be the villain in the next Dead Rising movie. We have to have Hancock come in, show his true colors, kill you, grab your belt buckle cure, and run away. We'll find out in the end he doesn't get that far. One of the assassins finds him in the tunnels and he gets gunned down. But we have this final climax where everyone's trying to get to the roof to the chopper. Yeah, I, I was going in my own head. Get to the chopper. It's up on the roof and... This is the character, though. They mentioned Chuck Green, and he owes him a favor because of his zombie daughter. I think you were talking about that last week, right? Yep, Chuck Green is the main character in Dead Rising 2. He's he's the guy that you play as. He's the one who's trying to save his daughter the whole time by making sure he has the Zombrex. So this is our game cameo. Instead of Frank West's time, we get a quick Chuck Green who barely has a line. So mm -hmm. it's really just a name drop more than anything here. Victor Webster was the star of Mutant X, which is, I think, a fake X-Men TV show from Canada 20 years ago. It was the X-Men TV show until Marvel said, I'm going to sue you because you don't have the rights to an X-Men TV <laughs> show, Fox. And so they just named it Mutant X and changed character names and went away. <laughs> How appropriate that a fake X-Men is now in this fake Romero movie. But okay, everyone gets on the chopper and gets away. And that's 
pretty much it. I don't, again, I'm left questioning about, I guess no one died from a overdose of their implant, but what's going to happen with immortality and, and what have you. I guess that got left in the basement, right? Like when Hancock got gunned down, the people that killed him had no idea the value of what he was holding. They left. Yeah, because the military firebombs the building. Mm-hmm. And then we get that scene that says 93 minutes later. Mm-hmm. And apparently the sub-basement is immune to firebombing as it's merely dark and wet, but not burned to crisps. And there's bodies all around. And somewhere down there, Hancock is he's running around and they just shoot him. They don't know who he is. They said they're going to come back for the body later. They just shoot him. Yeah. Matter of fact, they said somebody will eat him. So they're not even concerned about him or what he had. So if there is to be a follow-up to this movie, I suppose that could be a plot line they pick up on is that the cure to all this is somewhere in a basement hallway of the quarantine zone. Or in the belly of a zombie. Good luck finding that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no Dead Rising 3, but Justin Stewart, do you recommend Dead Rising Endgame? Justin. You know, this one did feel a little more competent, at least in the way it was made and the way it looked. It, it has a shorter runtime, but at the end of the day, I just, I didn't have any fun with this one, at least the last time around. I know Rob Riggle was there and he didn't overperform and didn't add much. I did like that idea of cutting back and forth from the events to people reporting on the events. I kind of wish they would have brought that trope back in somehow, not necessarily even bringing back Rob Riggle and that set. They could have done something else to show us the difference between what was going on on the inside and on the outside and how it was being reported. So that being missing made this feel like a different movie. And without that element, it just felt like a zombie movie. A zombie movie in 2016, in a, in a world where we already have two Walking Dead shows on every week, and we've had a myriad of other zombie movies, and this one's just not doing anything with that. There's nothing here for a zombie fan to latch onto. You know, Zombieland comes around and twists it a little bit and says, hey, it can be funny and still be scary. This one is just falling back into, eh, it's zombies, and here's a plot that you can kind of maybe understand, so just have fun watching it, because it really kind of just drops the idea of this being based on a video game you know i mean we get a few things here and there but the last movie they were throwing nice little things on screen to remind us of the game you know we had the Mega Man bot helmet we had the drinking of the orange juice we had the creating of weapons and here it just it feels like an average made for tv zombie movie so if i was going to watch one of them again it would be the first one and That time, I recommended it slightly to fans of the video game series. I can't even do that for this one. If you're a fan of the game series, I don't think there's much here for you. So this one is is a not recommend for me. Stuart. Yeah, it's dead sinking. This is going in the wrong direction. This is worse than the movie last week, even though there have been some cosmetic improvements. In the end, the overall entertainment value is sinking. And why? Because there are too many characters, too much conspiratorial plotting, not enough fun action with homemade weapons. 30 minutes shorter, and yet it feels like an eternity to sit through. Just fun deficient, as you point out. The filmmaking, this director, like nobody seems to to get how to tell a zombie movie and so it's just incredibly frustrating that uh yeah no one understands how to tell a laugh in uh dead rising 2 my biggest compliment is that it's still better than some that we've seen in this video game and when you think about video game zombie movies it has passed the uva bowl bar right barely 
but I feel like House of the Dead and some of those that he made were just so unprofessional. This one treads water above it. Maybe on the level of House of the Dead 2, but not quite House of the Dead. But even House of the Dead 2 is nowhere where you want to be. And so that's a strong not record. Wasn't House of the Dead 1 better because it had like the spinny camera stuff? You might have thought so. (laughs) (laughs) And the last movie, I kind of thought if you were non-discerning and you just wanted to watch a zombie movie. I mean, I've been there. I watched zombie strippers. I watched Zombiever. You know, I understand that impulse. (laughs) This is better than those. Well, yeah, they have strippers and beavers. Like, like, where is that in this movie? We did get some TNA. (laughs) They have a they have a zombie in a wedding dress. That's it. (laughs) But I'm saying the last movie is you know better than Peel. But this one, I came in and I'd looked at Wiki just to see who was in this. And I just saw the line that IGN said, this is so much better than the last one. And my hopes came in high. Like, the last one was almost a recommend. And this one's so much better. Please, yes, give me the movie I can recommend. Sorry, IGN, you are dead wrong. <laughs> dead wrong endgame. I mean, this <laughs> could be better if it wasn't so confusing. I think that there are the bones here of a good movie. And maybe it was just because it was rushed. Maybe it's because they're like, we want one out next year, and we've announced this three months after the first one came out. You have six months to write, produce, cast, direct, edit, and release this movie, and it just comes out like this. Whereas, as you say, Stuart, so many redundant characters, one rewrite and you consolidate that. That's what you do in a rewrite is you look and see, okay, what characters do we have doing the same thing? Let's just merge those and pare it down so it's an understandable crew of disparate personalities. And here, it is really tricky to keep track of who's on screen and why is anyone doing what? Why does General Allstate want to kill 1.5 million? Why does Billy Zane think he has a cure for immortality with zombies? Why, 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 why am I watching this? It's a not recommend. Yeah, it is an end game. It is the end. That's what I recommend. I recommend that you end this crackle. It's not going to happen. I, again, the plan was this would launch a weekly TV series on crackle that, you know, still says it's in pre-production, but that feels like a pipe dream, right? Jesse Metcalf is doing Hallmark shows now. Like everyone has moved on. Continuum has been canceled. I just don't see that this talent, air quotes around that, is going to come back five years later to do a TV series continuation for a movie no one likes. Well, keep in mind, there was Tremors the series many years after that movie, but also... I had to look to see if Crackle itself was canceled. I'm like, is Crackle still on the air? It is, but I didn't, I wouldn't have believed it. I've never heard of it. (laughs) I mean, I think this particular film franchise is done, but I don't think the video game franchise is done. I know there, there were plans for a fifth game. Capcom closed down their Canadian developer development house that was working on this stuff, but it's still one of Capcom's biggest known games. It's up there with Resident Evil and 
Street Fighter. So this franchise may rise again. I mean, I don't think it's going to be in the next year or two, but we may come back to this in five, six, seven years. Yeah, uh, it's always the threat, right? Every time mm-hmm. you think you've killed it, it's like a true horror movie fashion. I put a stake in you, motherfucker. It won't matter. Somebody will get 20 bucks and a bad idea and we'll be back to cover part. Yeah, it won't be part three. That's the good news is it will be a reboot, a rethinking, a new take on it. That can only be better because the people that had control over these last two movies squandered their opportunity. But anyway, let's go on to other sequels. We've got The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo now playing with fire. This Friday, the second part of the Elizabeth Salander saga is upon us. And then next Tuesday, we're going back to the theaters. We're actually going to see like a big summer movie. They're coming out now, Fast and the Furious 9. Ooh, I may be going back to theaters, but it won't be for that. <laughs> I never want to go back to Fast and Furious, but you know, they can, sometimes there are, there's a difference. Sometimes they can surprise me. Sometimes I can feel myself pulled against my resistance and have a good time. There are the Tokyo Drifts. There are the Part Fives. There has been moments in the series that have had more levity than others, but I don't know. The, the, the I hope I don't have to map the family tree. I can tell you at this point, I have no idea who's alive, who's dead, who's coming back. None of it. Yeah, I lost the thread on that series years ago. (laughs) Come on, Stuart. Han is back. And he was like the best part of Tokyo Drift. He was so good that they changed the timeline to have him in more movies. Somehow he's alive and now a sniper. And they're going to space. This is almost a recommend before I even walk in the theater. <laughs> Space, like a lunar vehicle? Yes. It's going to be driving around? Oh, my God. Yes, they are taking a car to space. In space, no one can hear you rev. <laughs> John Cena is somehow related to Vin Diesel. Uh, Brothers. Hopefully it goes better for him than The Rock did, like who has been jettisoned <laughs> into the, uh, what, what are they, the spinoff series. Well, that will be next week. And again, please join us this Friday for our donation series. We greatly appreciate your support. Everybody here is just so thankful for our listeners who choose to support us. And before we go, I want to congratulate the winners of our Indiana Jones Blu-ray giveaway. Know that that was exciting with the, man, I feel old, like 40th anniversary of Indiana Jones. But if you didn't win that, we've got another giveaway starting right now. We're giving away five digital download codes for The Misfits. Is that also having a 40th anniversary? I haven't thought about that band in a while. (laughs) It's a brand new action heist movie starring Pierce Brosnan, Hermione Corfield, and Tim Roth. Oh, okay. Tim Roth, we, I mean, he was in Twin Peaks. That's, I think, the last thing we covered him in. I'm aware. Yeah, I, okay. Uh, You know what? Never judge a book by its cover. I haven't seen anything about this. Okay, we're giving it away. It's a free movie. Directed by Rennie Harlan. In the film, Brosnan leads a group of modern-day Robin Hoods as they pull off the heist of the century. And thanks to our friends at Paramount Pictures, you can win one of these five download codes. You just subscribe to our In Focus newsletter or join our listeners group on Facebook. And if you do both, you're entered twice and we will announce those winners on July 2nd. So good luck and then come to our Facebook group and let us know if you recommend The Misfits. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, power this down, it is game over.
You've done well, General. Public pressure has worked exactly as you predicted. I believe we've helped the Congress and the press better understand their priorities, sir. I have the go order in my hand. You have your green light, Lions. Yeah, are we done? Almost. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Put down your phones and run for your goddamn life. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You did your best. More than most people would. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. We're not going to get a million plus hits talking about tents. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. If you're knee-deep in shit, you should be happy it's not up to your neck. But you're still knee-deep in shit. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. But I'll tell you one thing, talking to us ain't going to help you at all. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You've got to hold on to your friends. They're not easy to find. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks. Find the details on our website. I need a favor, but it's dangerous. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Great. What's your name again? You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Come on. Follow me. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm king of this shit. Associate produced by Jason Latham. You hacked his personal schedule. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Just make sure you finish the job. Now Playing credits read by Brock. If he doesn't talk, leave his body by the junction. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, don't you think the American people deserve to know the truth? American people don't give a shit. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. The lawsuit here would bury this network. Now the lawyers tell us what's news. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. This is your chance to tell your government how you feel about being abandoned. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Phenotrans. Stay human. Huh. 
aiding Chase is computer hacker Sandra Lowe, who is also Chase's girlfriend, played by Marie. I don't like Greek names. <laughs> Avgurapoulos? Marie Avgurapoulos. Marie Avgurapoulos. Marie Avgurapoulos. Marie Marie is Chase's girlfriend. Computer hacker Sandra Lowe, who is also Chase's girlfriend. Yeah. Well, anyway, Sandra is given the unfortunate duty of having to upload malware. Malware, not malware. Oh, I always call it malware. It's not either a Sith Lord or a shopping place. It's malware. <laughs> it's malicious. Well, I like malware, damn it. I'm still wearing my Chess King clothes. <laughs> At this point, you should be in the cloud. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 as someone that uses the term malware, I don't know if I get to poke fun at the technology use. But I <laughs> thinks maybe I'm not going to get this malware up in time. Is it malware? Malware. Malware. Mal. Mal. <laughs> it will always be malware to me. Huh.